Hello and welcome to The Guest Cast, the podcast where we explore guest stories from real people and look at how even the briefest interaction with hospitality while travelling can have a profound effect on a guest's whole life. This podcast is brought to you by Touchday Digital Guidebooks. As guest happiness fanatics, we want to dig into real-life guest experiences and learn about what really makes guests happy and what doesn't, hopefully picking up some great tips for vacation rental professionals along the way. So join us each fortnight as your hosts Andy and Tyan chat to guests from around the globe about their travel experiences. Introducing said hosts. Hi, my name's Andy. I'm the CEO here at Touchday. We started Touchday to improve guest experiences. So having a podcast in which we get to hear from real guests is something I'm personally very excited about. Hi friends, I'm Tyan Marsink Hammond and I am a vacation rental industry leader, educator, longtime host, owner, property manager, and investor, as well as the community ambassador for Touchday Digital Guidebooks. So pack your bags and get ready for this week's guest. Welcome to our next episode of the Guest Cast, the podcast that is lessons from travelers. I am really excited about today's guest. I mean, we're excited about every single guest, um, but this one, um, she did a 22-day through hike in the Corinthian Mountains in Austria. Yes, as Tyan said, we've got a really interesting guest, Joanna Haugen, who is a writer, speaker, And what I think interesting is a solutions advocate, which for those of you who don't know what that is, I didn't at first. She's basically very creative about finding solutions to problems in the travel industry as it relates to sustainability. And as those of you who've listened to us before know, Touchday is a very big fan of how to do sustainability in a meaningful way, like no greenwashing or anything. So I'm kind of quite excited to talk to Joanna a little bit about that as well. She's also founder of Rooted, and Rooted is what I just mentioned. It is a B2B organization that helps basically people in the travel industry to know how to communicate sustainability to their consumers. So Joanna, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me today. You're very welcome. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your your, uh, 22-mile hike um, and and some of the things that, that, that went well, hopefully all right, but I'm sure along the way a few bumps as well. Sure. Well, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna correct you there in that you said 22 mile hike is actually a 22 day hike, a total of about 380 kilometers or 240 miles. Um, that, that's a little bit different from 22 miles. Yes, Slip is. of the tongue, 22 day, much longer hike. Intense. Much, much longer hike. Um, yeah, so this was part of the Alpadria Trail, which is actually a um, 40 plus stage trail that runs through Austria, Slovenia, and Italy. And in the summer of 2018, my partner and I decided to through hike the part through Austria, which is through the Corinthian mountains, um, 22 days, like I said, about 240 miles. And um, we started at stage one and went through stage 22 when it dropped us over the border into Slovenia and the Julian Alps. But along the way, of course, uh, we had 22 
sweaty, difficult, uh, you know, affirming, incredible moments on, um, on the trail while we were in Austria. So we started at the base of Grasplachner, which is the highest mountain in Austria, um, in the Corinthian Alps. And uh, each day along, uh, along the way, we walked anywhere from 13 kilometers to about um, 25 kilometers, kind of depended on where we were able to stop for the night um, with varying degrees of difficulty in our hiking. Sometimes we were just walking along the road. Sometimes we were sharing a farm path with cows. Sometimes we were, you know, really huffing it up the uh, steep inclines of the, of the mountains. Um, and yeah, so um, one thing I was thinking about as I was getting together my thoughts for this call today is I was remembering a conversation I had about day maybe seven or eight in um, a small area, small town called Malnitz. And we stayed this whole um, trip in small um uh, B&Bs and mountain huts and accommodations that were, you know, you know, no chain hotels. Everything was very small and, and very intimate. And um, in this small town, Malnitz, we, we had breakfast in the morning with the innkeeper. And um, she was this uh, lovely Austrian woman, um, probably in her 60s, and I speak some rusty German. She didn't speak any English. And over breakfast, she was asking us why we liked hiking, why we were hiking. Um, and, you know, I managed to explain, you know, we like to be out in nature. We like to take the time to observe and see the world around us, really appreciate our, you know, physical bodies in this in incredible world that we live in. Um, and uh, she, she was very patient with me. And, and when, when I got done telling her why we like to hike, I asked her if she likes to hike because a lot of people in Austria and Germany and Switzerland, it's really common for people to go hiking um, during, you know, on the weekends. And, and it's just kind of part of the culture. And she said to me, oh, no, 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 no. I, I don't like to hike. Somebody has to stay at the inn and take care all, of all of you. And so she was just really sweet, um, making sure that we had, um, you know, some bread and jam and snacks for our day as she sent us off. But she was just, um, you know, it's just one of those moments where you, you realize that you're so far off the map, right, that nobody would really ever be able to find you unless they walked in on this path and out the other way. And you just have these moments of just like intimate connection and conversation with people who are just, you know, going about their day-to-day -day lives and in, enjoying this um, beautiful uh, setting that they live in. And um, so breakfast with this woman was one thing that I was thinking about this morning um, as I was preparing for this conversation with you. Another thing I was um, thinking about was this day that we, uh, hiked, it felt like straight up the side of a mountain. And we ended up at the top of uh, Gerlitzen Alp, which is, um, you know, I, it's kind of a, incredible because the, the Corinthian Alps, it's just, it's mountains and mountains and mountains. So why is one mountaintop any different from another one? I'm not really sure. After a while, you kind of ask yourself, why am I just walking up and down mountains? Well, we've reached the top of Gerlitzen Alp and um, there's a mountain chalet up there. And um, we had 
uh, we were spending the night there. We had a, um, a reservation. We almost missed dinner, ate a quick dinner, and then um, we went out to watch the paragliders because this area has perfect wind conditions. And it's people bring the, um, uh, the chairlift up during the summer and then they jump off the side of the mountain and they paraglide down to this little tiny town that you can see way, way in the distance. And then they hop back on the chairlift and they bring their paragliding stuff back up and they jump off again. And it was, the days were so long and we, we sat at the top of this mountain for hours and just watched paragliders get off the chairlift and get their gear on and jump off the mountain. And from where we sat on Gerlitzen Alp, we could look all the way back to Grossglatten, way back at the beginning where we started our first hike. And by this point, we were like 18 days in, maybe we were only a, a few days left in our trip but we were able to look all the way back and that we were so high the sky was so clear um and honestly we hadn't walked that far as as the eagle flies as you know um and we could see where we started but we could also see where we were going to be ending and we could see the julian alps in the distance and um the little towns that we would be passing through on our way um on the on our path forward and where we would be ending. I, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing, Joanna, the sound of music. I don't I, know if it's the same kind of... Yeah, I, I mean, it's not, um, that's not a bad picture that you have in your mind. It, it really is, it's one of those things where you see it in the movies or in a picture and you're like, do these places really exist? And then you're there and it's almost a, a surreal moment. And I think for us, Knowing that we got there on our own two feet, carrying our backpacks, like everything we needed was with us. And, and we had earned this moment to sit in this incredible space and this incredible opportunity just really, you know, it just, it really makes it so much richer. Um, so yeah, Sound of Music kind of in a way, that's actually not a bad comparison. Sound of Music watching... Um the equivalent uh, of a small child getting on top of a slide, sliding down, then coming back up again. But now with paragliders doing the, the same kind of yeah. thing. Um, yeah. I wanted to go back to the innkeeper uh, that you mentioned mm -hmm. at the start. And that reminds me of kind of good old fashioned hospitality. Do you think that these days that is lost? Or do you think that that's something that that is still there? I think it's still there when we talk about small businesses and locally owned um, accommodations and, and businesses. I think that we've lost a lot of that when it comes to big multinational chains, um, because I, I guess, you know, the, the experience I've had is a lot of the folks working in those kind of places while they enjoy their jobs maybe, and they, um, they're very kind and helpful. They don't have an intimate connection with the, with the place that they're working at. They could be working at this chain hotel or the one down the beach. Um, but I, it, I think that the small locally owned, really cared for and curated um, accommodations, absolutely that still exists. And I think that's 
those moments where you have like actual connections and conversations with the accommodation owners or service providers, those are the really special moments in travel. Those are the ones you remember. I remember that conversation over breakfast. And I don't know that I would have had that moment in, you know, a, a large scale hotel buffet. I was, you know, having the bread that this woman made for breakfast. And um, so I don't think those moments are lost. I do think that travelers need to make a point to book accommodations and, and seek out those experiences where they would be um, more readily available, uh, available. And I think that's with small locally owned um, uh, businesses. I attended or I had the good fortune of attending a conference in France last week. The first time for, well, goodness knows how long that I've been on a plane and um, been surrounded by hundreds of people, all done in a very, very safe and considered way as well, which was great. But one of the things that came up there, which I found really interesting, which I'd also seen on a recent article by a data company called Transparent, was the inverse relationship between growth and customer satisfaction. And let me clarify what that means. So um, our audience are people that run short-term rentals and bed and breakfasts, et cetera, but mainly short-term rentals. And uh, the finding was that as, there are, as, as you manage more and more rentals, the average review score that you get decreases slightly. And most people consider that a factor of the amount of individual attention you can give to your guests because you're, you're managing just a few properties versus 300. And when you go to 300, you lose that personal connection. You're more automated, you're more process driven. And I thought it was really interesting hearing what you said about the fact that you really connected with your innkeeper because there was this kind of personal, um, old fashioned hospitality approach. And I, it's maybe an unfair question, but I'm interested to hear what you think about the modern operator that relies a lot on tools and processes, how they could make you feel as welcomed and um, how it felt as hospitable as the individual innkeeper in her 60s. I think actually that tools and processes can, can be used to streamline some of those things that would take time and manual labor to to um, uh, manage operations. So, um, you know, this little, this cute little innkeeper was keeping everything in like a paper ledger, which was great for her and her small business. As she, you know, she was accommodating more and more people using this kind of system would take too long. It would take away from her ability to provide a, you know, really personal uh, experience. And quite frankly, from what I gather from her, that was part of why she was doing this. This is why she had an inn in this little town. She didn't want to be spending her time, you know, maintaining a paper ledger. But if she were to grow a business like that, she could use, you know, automation and, and um, technology to streamline those processes so that she had more time to spend with her guests. So I do think that to a certain extent, the tools that are available to us can be used to help. Um, you know, accommodate more guests in order to provide a more intimate experience for guests. I will say too, because so many of the places we stayed um, and we are so off the beaten track, they 
some of these places really were just a room or two in somebody's home, or they were really small accommodations that didn't have websites or anything like this. So we actually ended up booking all of our accommodations through a provider who works specifically along the trail and has relationships with all of these innkeepers. So a lot of these people, they don't have websites. They don't have you know booking tools in place so that somebody like me could on my own just happen across their um, accommodation and book them. And so, um, you know, that's really relying on relationships and, and the, the ability of their service providers, their partners on the ground to book, you know, clients and travelers in, in their um, homes and inns and, and, and B&Bs. Um, so certainly, if any of these people wanted to accommodate, you know, do-it-yourself travelers who weren't working with uh, another service provider, they would most likely need to utilize technology in order to do that, even if that was just putting up a website or having some sort of presence online. So Joanna, how did your experience um, through this change your view on travel in general? Well, I am a big fan of long distance hiking and walking anyway, and I actually think it is a underrated form of travel and one that I think more people should experience. Every time I go on a long distance hike or a long distance walk like this, I am reminded of why we need to do that. And uh, so it reinforces something about my belief of uh, my my personal travel belief system. And that is that um, we can, as individuals, very much support communities in a way that is dispersed and meaningful um, financially while still having a very light footprint on the earth. We can have incredible experiences over a long period of time while still staying in a small geographic area. And we can support a lot of people in this way. I mean, every, every day we ate at a different place. Every day we stayed at a different accommodation. I mean, right there is, you know, 44 different small businesses that we impacted without ever getting into a car. And that um, I think is something that reinforces for me that travelers and travel can very much have a positive impact. And when we're looking at the bigger picture of the world and we live in today and the challenges that we're facing, I think it serves as a model for how we can experience the world and be um, really positively impacted as travelers while still having an impact on the communities that we touch. Now, Joanna, earlier in our conversation, before we hit the record button, um, you were telling us a little bit about your job and something that really struck me that I think our listeners would be very interested in is, and I wrote this down as a quote. So this is Joanna's quote, awareness does not activate change. And then you went on to say how people think they have to do everything as far as sustainable travel and they end up doing nothing. And I see that all over the place. So my question to you is, what is something that's just something small that someone could do? What are those a few things to just start to activate those that change just a little bit? Yeah, so um, 
are you are you looking for ideas for um, providers working in the industry space or for travelers? Both. If you if you know, ideally the providers, but if you've got a tip for a traveler as well, absolutely. Yeah, sure. So, I I think it's really important um, that we keep in mind first of all as just people in general, whether we're working in the tourism industry or we're travelers, that. Um, you know, we need big changes in this world, and that's why we do need to move towards sustainability. But also, um, our individual actions matter as well because it's it's ripple effects that at, that can activate much bigger change. And so, you know, for you know, you, you hear a lot of people say that it doesn't matter if you don't say uh, say yes or no to a plastic straw. But I would argue that saying no to the plastic straw matters um, because you motivate other people who see what you do. You incur, you send a message by saying no to that plastic straw about what it means to you to be a conscious consumer. So, you know, for anybody who's working in the tourism industry, start where you can today. And that would be maybe as simple as getting rid of the plastic straws at your uh, place of business. Um, one of the easiest things that I've been learning about is changing your energy provider. Um, apparently in uh, many parts of the world, and I was speaking specifically to somebody in the UK the other day, if you switch to a, a provider that is more um, running on, on more renewable energy, it actually saves you money than staying on some of these um, energy providers that you've maybe been been on for years and years. So look into switching to an energy provider that is much more efficient and better for the environment. That would be something that's quite easy to do and something that you could do this week. Um, and then I would also say for uh, providers, accommodations in particular, food waste is a challenge. Um, be really thoughtful about what you're providing to your guests. Chances are that um, you're providing more than they want or they need. And so communicate with your guests about, you know, how much food do they actually want? How much are they going to be eating? The buffet, I think, is probably going to be something of the past in our COVID, post-COVID days here. But I do think the buffet was a huge form of food waste. So maybe rethink the way that we're serving the food in our accommodations. That's a big thing we could do to just ask people what they want, what they need. And I think you might be surprised um, that, that that can be uh, very quickly reduced and again, save you money. One other thing that um, is really easy for uh, anybody who's in charge of accommodations is um, getting rid of those little plastic bottles of shampoo and in, in accommodations, just keeping them at the front desk putting a little sign or letting your guests know, hey, we have these available if you ask for them. Um, it's one of those easy default things that we can do for travelers where they're gonna take the path of least resistance. And if there are little bottles, plastic bottles of shampoo sitting on the counter, they're going to use them. If it takes some work to go ask for them, they'll go ask for them if they want them, but they're not inclined to use anything that isn't available to them. So just simply removing that um, temptation to just reach for that small plastic bottle is something that very easy, quick thing that you can do. And again, it saves money. Some of these are short-term gains. Uh, the sustainability um, 
uh, efforts, that's definitely a long-term vision, but all of these little actions do add up uh, in that way. As for travelers, um, I think right now, um, one of the things that we need to be doing is really thinking about our motivation for travel. Um, and when we travel, it's not just about minimizing our negative impact. So being really mindful about how we create waste, how much water we use, how much food we're wasting, but also being really mindful about what our positive impact is when we travel. So when you are in a destination, are you intentionally supporting local businesses? Are you utilizing the services of a local guide? Um, and really thinking about why we're going somewhere. Are we doing it just for our own selfish, you know, self-interested holiday? Or, or is there something that we can contribute in a meaningful way to the economy and the environment by being where we are at? So um, just re rethinking about our motivation, I think, is a big thing that travelers can do. If I may, I'd like to jump in there. I think I think that's 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 really an interesting perspective in the sense of thinking about as a traveler but with that with if you think about it from that perspective as a as a provider of accommodation you can kind of understand better what to do so i think some of these bigger things that that, uh, that we've spoken about can be a little bit hard for the really micro businesses to feel that they're impactful enough albeit you say there's this ripple effect, which I do also agree with. Um, but if you think about it from your ability to make a difference at a local level by pointing your travelers, your guests to either local owned businesses um, or businesses that themselves in the, the, the region are doing things to be more sustainable or whether it's pointing them to you know, a particular attraction that talks about, you know, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's the, the aquarium, but the aquarium is very big on um, ecology and sustainability. And, you know, so I think that kind of thing is really interesting and, it, and, it, and it's so much easier. And the, the best thing about all this as well, I think it's a great marketing opportunity for, for providers of accommodation. Um, just a slight aside, there's a, there's a football soccer club here in the UK called Forest Green Rovers. They're in one of the lower divisions, but they are really well known for being a sustainable football club. Um, and last night, in fact, there was a, there was a game, a big game between um, Tottenham and Chelsea, which was the first net zero game, net zero carbon game. And there's a lot of, well, what did they really do to be net zero? And, you know, is it, is it really? But the fact that this, this, that there are these examples, a, a small football club and a big match between these two London teams who are getting behind the issue raises the awareness and both can do things in their individual way. But they're, one is huge and one is small. So that, that example of Forest Green Rovers, I think, is, is a great one. They get a huge amount of publicity for being that way as well. So it's not only good for the environment, but it's actually good for their bottom line as well. So I think, you know, it doesn't have to be that you're huge. Um, so I, th I think that's a really interesting point you raised there, Joanna. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, to, to your point of what you say there, it's even if, you know, some people might call into question some of the things they're doing, we're talking about it. And I think having these conversations about the environment, about you know, what is 
what does it mean to cut carbon emissions? What does it mean to, you know, be a more sustainable um, company or to be a sustainable traveler? Those are all conversations we should be having. There's no easy answer, but the only way that we're going to learn about and move forward in that space is at least start talking about it. Yeah, I, 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 brilliant. That's exactly what I think. It's, it's what Tyanne said and what she quoted you earlier. Awareness is just the start. I think now everybody is aware. I think there's very few. Um, I think there's very few people who don't believe that there's a there's a climate issue. It's very clear that there is. And if there are still out there people who think there isn't, kind of wake up because there absolutely is. It's now what do I do? It's now how do I make a difference to this really big issue? And as you've said through those examples and the example of Forest Green Rovers, the little guy can do it. And if we can, if there are many, 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 many little guys doing it, then it becomes a much more plus, let's think about the traveler demographic, you know, the, the younger generation these days they are no longer the ones that will go, well, I won't be impacted on this because it's not my grandchildren. It, it, they are impacted by it. They will grow up with the results of the things that we do. And I think when you, when you kind of think about it as not my issue, but you relate it in that way, it really is our issue to leave behind a better place than, than we started. So um, yeah, act small. Case in point for the small guys over here in the U.S., there was a first grade class who got together and said, we don't want our town to have plastic straws anymore. And they petitioned to the town. And because of the first grade class, which is like ages six and seven years old here, and there's no more plastic straws in that town because the little guy said, hey, this is what we want. And we think this is best for our environment. So in wrap up, Joanna, is there one bit of advice you would give to the host owners, property managers listening to this um, in relation to what we discussed today with the intimate conversations, being local and activating change, not just awareness? I think that uh, small accommodation owners are in a really unique position because the travelers who are staying at your accommodations are already to a certain extent interested in local experiences. They're choosing to stay in your accommodations over big multinational chains. And so, um, you know, as Andy alluded to, we are aware of the big challenges in the world today. I think you have a really unique opportunity to just be really honest and start conversations about what that looks like in your own community who is making change what are you know what are the challenges that you're facing as a, as a small accommodation owner grappling with the many aspects of you know climate change and and you know all these things that we're we're facing have these conversations because you have a chance to help travelers bridge their travel experiences with the world that they see outside their front door. And when we can find shared human connection over values and um, uh, common, common challenges that we're all facing, we can, we can make a big change in this world simply by seeing that, you know, what we see at home and what we see on vacation are not two separate things. We live in a very big ecosystem 
and we all are a small part of that. So I invite you to just have conversations in a way that are real and authentic. And, and, and if they go into those hard places, embrace it, lean in. Yeah, Joanna, I, I, I agree. Just because it's hard, it doesn't mean you don't do it. You know, the things that are worth doing are often hard, but the, the payback for um, both society and the business is, is huge if you're one of the early adopters. So yeah, wise words, thank you. Maybe you have a travel or hospitality story you'd like to share on the guest cast. If you do, head to touchday.com forward slash podcast and send us a brief outline of your story. And as always, remember to subscribe to the guest cast on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a five-star review and say hello on our social media at Touchday Welcome. This podcast was brought to you by Touchday Digital Guidebooks. Learn more about how Touchday can help make your guests happier at touchday.com.